Turn, if you would, to the 30th chapter of the book of Proverbs. We are winding down the book of Proverbs. We have one more chapter to go. I will be gone the next two weeks. I will be up in uh, Maryland with my daughter up there. My uh, younger son, who's been in here before, uh, is spending a week at Annapolis doing some high school programs, so we're going to drive him up there and drop him off and see the sights and that kind of thing. So we'll be back in two weeks. Last week, we spent a lot of time on verse 11. There are those who curse their fathers and do not bless their mothers, those who are pure in their own eyes and yet are not cleansed of their filth. And we had a long discussion about honor and what that meant, and we will have a little bit more about that in just a moment. But we're going to pick up in verse 15 today, and we're going to talk about a series of lists. These are actually things that uh, this chapter is known for because they all have the same pattern. There are three things that are never satisfied, four that never say enough. You see the pattern? There are three things that are too amazing for me, four that I do not understand. Under three things, and he continues through this series of lists, looking at nature and looking at people, to try to understand some nuggets of wisdom, to try to understand the world around us. And what I think is interesting is not so much the individual list, but this whole idea of observing nature, observing things that are going on around us with an eye toward understanding wisdom. Are you all list makers? I mean, do you ever sit down and make a list of, this or that. How many of you have ever made a list of things you don't understand? I have, actually. <laughs> There's all kinds of lists that you can make. So we're going to look at a few of these, as many as we have time to make through, and um, see what insight we can learn. But once again, what I'm curious about is the idea of how he produces the list, how he looks at the world and tries to understand things about God, about wisdom, and about what it means to live in this world. So, verse 15, the leech has two daughters. That's a strange analogy. The leech has two daughters. Give, give, they cry. There are three things that are never satisfied, four that never say enough. The grave, the barren womb, land which is never satisfied with water, and fire which never says enough. There are three things, no, four things that never say enough. Why is it important that there are things that never say enough? Hmm. They are never satisfied. In order to ever, ever reach a point of contentment, you have got to reach the point where you say, this is enough. Remember the passage we looked at two weeks ago. Don't give me too much or I might forget about God and curse you. 
Don't give me too little or I might steal to get my daily bread and that will defame your name. It is enough. The idea is that if we are going to ever practice contentment, we have to reach the point where enough is enough. Instead of just more is always what is necessary. So look at the four things that he gives as examples. The grave. At some point, when the Lord returns, way in the future, or tomorrow, who knows, the grave is going to say enough. But between now and then, we're all going to die. The grave is continually receiving more bodies. You can go look up the statistic of how many people die in the world every day, and guess what? We're all going to die. The grave never says enough. The barren womb. Why do you think that is on the list? In what sense is the barren womb never satisfied? I got him quiet. It never serves its purpose. They want a child. They always want that which they cannot have. We are given no reason in this passage about why the womb is barren. It's just barren. And I don't know if you've known people, we have known people, who so wanted a child, they didn't want to adopt a child, they wanted their own child, and they, they couldn't have it. And that's real hard. And as long as your mind is continually focused on that which God has not given me, then you will never appreciate that which God has given you. And this is an interesting analogy, because, I mean, picture, because having children is a great and wonderful thing. It's not like you're asking for something immoral here. You're asking God for what God normally gives, but for some reason has withheld in this particular case. But if you are going to learn contentment, you have to accept the providence of God even when the providence of God is not what you desire and is not what is normally given. Land which is never satisfied with water. They must be from Texas. We all know what this means. In the middle of a drought, I kid you not, you know, there have been times I've taken the garden hose and I, no, no sprinkler, just the garden hose, and I set it on a piece of ground, and about this much gets wet. It just soaks it in. It just goes somewhere. Never says enough. And a fire which never says enough. Out in New Mexico or wherever the fire is now, it just consumes everything that's in its way. The leech has two daughters, and they say, give, give. What is the point of all of this? If you live a life, if you live a life 
that always demands more, you will never understand contentment and you will never understand the joy and peace that God wants to give you within that contentment. Huh. The eye that mocks the father, that scorns obedience to the mother, will be pecked out by the ravens of the valley, will be eaten by the vultures. There's a nice cheery verse. Next time your child or your grandchild or your great-grandchild misbehaves, just tell them their eyes are going to be pucked out by the vultures. (laughs) I should use that with my kids. Why is this verse here? Why is this verse right here following this discussion of there are those who never say enough? The leech has two daughters, more, more, give, give. There are things that never say enough, that always consume whatever they can find and give nothing in return. Why is this immediately followed by a verse about mocking fathers, scorning obedience to mothers, the same ideas that we had in last week's lesson? Somebody want to venture a guess? You know the answer, you just don't want to say it. Uh huh. <laughs> Dad's dream to someday live as well as my wife and children. Actually, the one I read the other day is I want my kids to have the things that I never had so I can move in with them and take it. <laughs> What is it that produces scorn, disobedience, what is it, mockery on the part of children with regard to their parents? Obviously, the answer is a sin nature. But how does that manifest itself? A sense of entitlement that says, my parents have not given me enough. The leech has two daughters. They say, more, more, give, give. And the child who has the sense of entitlement that they have not been given that which is their due will look at their father with mockery and their mother with scorn. It is an interesting picture. We don't like it. We don't want to think about it too much. But there are three, no, four things that never say enough. Maybe we shouldn't talk about that. Anyway, verse 18. There are three things that are too amazing for me, four that I do not understand. Have you ever sat down and made a list of things that are too amazing for you? You probably haven't. We live in an age that doesn't put a lot of value in amazement. We have lost the ability to look at the things of God and be amazed. Just a side thought. 
There are three things that are too amazing for me, four that I do not understand. The way of an eagle in the sky, the way of a snake on a rock, the way of a ship on the high seas, and the way of a man with a maiden. What do these four things have in common? Y'all aren't very talkative today. They were they were created to go a certain path, uh huh. When the eagle is flying through the air, does it leave a contrail behind it? No, in fact, you don't know where it's gone. It's just gliding through the air. Have you ever seen an eagle? I'm not sure I've ever seen an eagle in the wild. I've seen them in the zoo, but they don't fly much in the zoo. You saw one in Washington State? Huh? Alaska? <laughs> That's interesting. But notice what it's saying, like a snake moving across a rock. What does a snake moving across a rock leave behind it? Nothing. No path, no trail. I mean, it's like the snake on my sidewalk. A couple of weeks ago, I walk out with the dog for the dog to do her evening business, and the dog sees the four-foot snake, and the dog wants to go back in the house real quick. <laughs> well, I took the dog back in the house, and I brought the kids out to see the four-foot snake, and it crawled into the flower bed, which scared the bejeebers out of my wife, who needed to work in the flower bed. But <laughs> The dog knew the snake was dangerous. But the snake going across the rock leaves no path of where it's been. The eagle flying through the air leaves no path of where it's been. The ship going through the water. You know, we think of big ocean liners, big ocean liners who are churning up the water and leaving this. But, you know, a ship of the time period of this would have left no trail. Hmm? It would have gone through the water. Really? It does with a with a big ocean liner, but uh, a rowboat doesn't make much of a trail. Well, the uh, you know the, the satellites today can track a submarine underwater by seeing the trail. Not, not just the, the they see the trail because it messes up the uh, plankton and et cetera behind it. That's pretty high-tech stuff. Yeah. We have three analogies, the eagle, the snake, and the ship. And then we get to the human picture, which is the way of a man with a maiden. Huh. What does that have to do with a snake? Don't say the guy's the snake. (laughs) Don't say it. I tell that to my kids, but no. Go ahead. The ship is at the mercy of the sea? 
And the snake, obviously, have to go wherever the rock is. <laughs> so what is the way of a man with a maiden? Come on, give me the easy answer first. Huh? Destruction? No, I don't think so. I think that's the wrong answer. Gosh. Go ahead. <laughs> we don't have a clue about that. I've got a house full of them. Let me jump to the next verse and go back, okay? Because the next verse is another one of those verses you go, why was this verse put right here? This is the way of an adulteress. She eats and wipes her mouth and says, I've done nothing wrong. What's wrong with eating? What's wrong with wiping your mouth? There's nothing wrong with that. But she's going about her everyday events as if her life had done nothing wrong. Go back to Proverbs 5, 6, and 7, where we talk about Solomon looking out of his window, seeing the young man walking down the street, being enticed by the adulterous woman. And it says he does not realize that her house is full of dead people. Her house is full of people who have been led to destruction because of her behavior and their entering into her house. And in the midst of all that destruction, in the midst of all of that wickedness, she eats and wipes her mouth and says, I have done nothing wrong. There is no examination of her life. There is no understanding of the destruction that she causes. She just goes through life destroying relationships. And so if you look behind her, it's destruction, 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 destruction. The eagle leaves no path. The snake on the rock leaves no path. The ship, after a minuscule amount of time, leaves no path of destruction. The godly young man with the godly young woman leaves no destruction in his path. Courtship, to use the nice old-fashioned word, courtship is not warfare by another name. It is a path that leaves no destruction behind it. You could have a long discussion, a long discussion about modern dating activities 
and the relationships that are formed and broken and the paths of destruction that are brought about. Once you, well, let's be quite honest about it. Once you bring sexuality into the picture of an unmarried relationship, there are all kinds of complexities and problems that get brought into it that God never intended for it to be there. I tell classes that I've taught of young people, when you engage in sexual activity, certain chemicals are released in your brain. And it builds an attract. Did you have a comment before you left? Yes. Hmm. We'll think about that. <laughs> when you engage in sexual activities, these chemicals are released that develop an attachment with the person that you're engaging in sexual activities with. This is... I mean, you can prove this chemically. Well, if you're married to someone, God did that such that the sexual activity would bind you closer and closer to one another. That's the way it's supposed to work. Well, if you are not married to them, then you have that binding, and then you break apart, and there is a destruction of that connection, and then you go do it all over again. And you do it over again, and you do it over again. It is not a path of no destruction behind it. It is a path of brokenness that God never intended to be there. So, we have the eagle in the sky following a path that we don't necessarily understand. I mean, you can watch any birds. And you go, why does that bird go that way? Why does that bird go that way? I mean, have you ever watched birds? I mean, they're kind of fascinating. Watching a snake, it goes this way. It is, it is something we don't understand. Following the ship in the water, following the young man with the maiden, his observation is there are things that are too amazing for us. Things that we don't understand, and that's okay. But the things that we don't understand does not give... The fact that we do not understand, it doesn't give us permission to destroy things and create destruction in our path, which is why it moves on to talk about the adulterous woman. <sighs> Under three things... The earth trembles. Under four, it cannot bear up. There are three things, four things, that the earth cannot stand. That's an interesting title for a list right there. A servant who becomes a king. A fool who is full of food. An unloved woman who is married. And a maidservant who displaces her mistress. Now that's an odd list. 
I mean, I mean, if I were going to come up with things the earth couldn't stand, I might think of certain singing groups, but, oh, that's a whole different story. Huh? No politics? No politics at all. I mean, I would come up with some really big things, you know, thermonuclear warheads or something. But a maiden? A servant who becomes king? What's wrong with that? Go ahead. I hate... (laughs) Bitterness is the idea that would probably be associated with it. What in the world is wrong with a servant becoming king? It happens in the movies all the time, doesn't it? Huh? They are not prepared for their job. (laughs) Go ahead. Connections. There may not be the family connections. We're not talking politics. <laughs> there are associations necessary to fulfill the obligation of being a good king or queen or fill in the blank with whatever leadership position you want to talk about. A servant who becomes a king, they are not prepared for the position. That is, by the way, one of my pet peeves about movies. Because it happens in movies all the time. Okay? You got the guy who's a nobody, and after three hours of intensive training, they are the toughest guy on the planet. Uh, No. It isn't going to happen. There are people who spend a lifetime preparing to rule. And a good king, and we'll assume for right now that we're dealing with a good king here. A good king has spent a lifetime preparing to fulfill that obligation. And to have a servant who has spent a lifetime out of power to suddenly thrust that individual into a position of power and influence will probably produce bad results. Number two, a fool who is full of food. That would be... no. What's wrong with a fool being full of food? That's a lot of F's. I mean, do you really want them skinny? Maybe. Huh? They didn't work for it. We are told in the book of Proverbs that we have been talking about for the last 27 weeks that the wise individual looks ahead, prepares for the future, stores up food for the winter, and is ready. The fool is only driven by their appetites. And to the extent that they are full, 
They stop looking how to do what they need to do. A fool, a full fool is content in his foolishness and thus will not do anything to resolve the problem. They acquired a full belly by means that they were not qualified to accomplish. Just feeding a fool doesn't fix any problem. A servant who becomes king, a fool who is full of food, an unloved woman who is married. We're not going to have a show of hands. No. An unloved woman. And the word you had in yours was, pardon? Hateful. The idea is that they are unloved because they are I don't want to say it. Hmm? They have a flaw that makes them unlovable. A character flaw, an issue, bitterness, hatefulness is the words that some use. Huh. Hmm. Remember the Rachel and Leah story. He wanted to marry Rachel. He got stuck with Leah. So he immediately renegotiated the deal and got Rachel in addition to Leah. So you are, you Leah, are the number two wife and you know it. You know you're the unloved one. You don't want to put all the blame on her? That wasn't, why well, wasn't her fault? Her uncle, but he, she didn't have to do it. She schemed and connived with her. <laughs> Never. We're not sure she was ugly. All it said is she had weak eyes. And we have no idea what that means. <laughs> what is wrong with an unloved woman? I mean, let's, let's stick right now with just the word unloved. And let's remove all these connotations that I and others... Are, let's just look at that. What is wrong with an unloved woman... In a marriage. The Bible says that the husband is to love the wife as Christ loved the mm-hmm. church and gave himself for her. So it places a great emphasis on the husband loving the wife. It wasn't mm-hmm. for their profound value attributed mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. She is unhappy. He's unhappy. Go ahead. Okay, let's have a show of hands. How many thinks the guy is the jerk? All the women raise their hands. How many think the guy... Go ahead. Go ahead. 
Well, I'm not sure I'd put too much of the blame on the idea of arranged marriage, although you are right, that is the situation. Um, the general idea of an arranged marriage is that eventually you'll learn to love each other. That's the idea. That's the deal. I mean, you know, given, g- g- yeah, g- given modern divorce statistics, you couldn't argue that we're doing much better today by letting people choose on their own. the competition. There are reasons that we can understand of why this woman got into this relationship. The marriage was arranged. It was forced upon her. She married a jerk. He lied to her. Whatever, you know, whatever reason. But the recognition is that this is not how this relationship is supposed to be. This relationship is supposed to be something different than it is. Somebody in this relationship, and we can have a long argument about it, someone in this relationship is not fulfilling the qualifications to accomplish their role in this relationship. Whether it is the man who is not following the later biblical injunction to love your wife as Christ loved the church, or it is the woman, based on other possible translations of this word, that is hateful and bitter and thus unlovable, either way you look at it, somebody is in this relationship and is not qualified to be there. The pattern of these is the idea that when people subvert relationships, when they get to positions that they are not qualified to be in, they cause huge amounts of trouble. Whatever the source of the unloved woman in the marriage, you have to assume that it causes problems in the marriage, in the relationship with the children, in the relationship with the kinsmen. When the, I mean, it is a circle that continues to grow. Go ahead. Please do. Did y'all hear that? (laughs) With their spouse. (laughs) 
(laughs) (laughs) Under three things the earth trembles, under four it cannot bear up, a servant who becomes king, a fool who is full of food, an unloved woman who is married, and a maidservant who displaces her mistress. Hagar. We know all about Hagar. Sarah couldn't have a child. They didn't want to wait. So Hagar hops in, literally. And Hagar produces a child. How does that make Sarah, I guess it's Sarai at that point, Sarah, how does it make her feel? Very inadequate. And the observation is it's caused un, unimaginable problems throughout history. Once again, I don't know if you know any situations. We actually do know a situation where the nanny replaces the woman of the house. Okay? It is a position that the individuals are not qualified to be in. What we need to understand from the book of Proverbs is not that you can't, you can't uh, strive to be at the top of whatever class you're in. That you can't strive to be the king, governor, whatever appropriate level. That you can't strive to be married, that you can't strive to be these things. But biblically, from the book of Proverbs, there are qualifications that are necessary to do these jobs well. I remember a conversation I had with one of my children. This was four or five years ago. And they said, what would it take if I wanted to be governor of Texas someday? And I started telling them, okay, You've got to start going to these meetings. You've got to start meeting these people. You've got to study this. You've got to do this. And in 20 years, you can do it. You really can. There are ways of accomplishing those things. And biblically, the number one way is the pursuit of wisdom. Wisdom is what allows you to become king. Wisdom is what allows you to lead with integrity. It qualifies you for the activities that God wants you to have. A fool... Go ahead. Mm-hmm. Right. Which was the discussion earlier about not never saying enough. His observation was all the academics in the world won't teach you that. You've got to learn wisdom, which we learn from God's Word. (sighs) Under three things the earth trembles, under four it cannot bear up. A servant who becomes king, a fool who is full of food, an unloved woman who is married, and a maidservant who displaces her mistress. It would be interesting to go home and start adding things to these lists because you could do it, you know. 
you know, I think of professional athletes who earn more money than they have the intelligence to use. It just, I mean, it just so happens I was reading an article last week. 80% of professional athletes end up in bankruptcy five years after they stop playing. 80%. They have acquired wealth. And this is, this is not an insult really to them. If all of a sudden I won the lottery, which would be difficult since I'd have to buy a ticket first, but if all of a sudden I won the lottery and I got $50 million, I don't know how to handle $50 million. It'd be fun to try, but... <laughs> Four things on earth are small, and we'll end with this one, yet they are extremely wise. Ants are creatures of little strength, yet they store up their food in the summer. Coonies, or rock badger is what some of the translations said, are creatures of little power, yet they make their home in the crags. Locusts have no king, yet they advance together in ranks. A lizard can be caught with the hand, yet it is found in king's palaces. Things that are small, but are extremely wise. We talked the last two weeks that uh, one of the themes of chapter 30 of the book of Proverbs is this idea of humility and the opposite of all that, which is arrogance, being arrogant about your position. Well, in order to support the idea that um, humility is a good thing, the author looks at things that are small, small, insignificant things that demonstrate wisdom. Ants working together to accomplish a certain goal. Now, my goal is to kill the ants as fast as I possibly can. But that's not the ants' goal. I mean, the ants' goal is to create a colony, to work together, to work at their particular task, to accomplish their, ta accomplish their survival. The locusts travel together in swarms. Locusts, by the way, are grasshoppers by a different name. Um, I was not raised in a farm community. How many of you actually have seen locust swarms? I bet some of you have. They're devastating. Why do they travel together? Why aren't they all individuals? They can't be devastating if they're individuals. They have a wisdom that God has given them that allows them to work together to accomplish their goal. Now, their goal happens to be really lousy for the goal of the farmer, but that's a whole different story. Uh, Coonies are creatures of little power, yet they make their home in the crags. A lizard can be caught with the hand, yet it is found in king's palaces. What's significant about that? How many of you have ever ha have lizards in your house, like today? <laughs> we have geckos all the time, yes. And I actually like them. I don't, I don't swat them. I try to capture them and take them back outside. Huh? Yeah, I'll take the lizards. What's significant about that, though? They are this small, insignificant creature, and yet they live in king's palaces. You aren't going to help me here, are you? You place value on such hmm? things and really not the value, I guess. 
we think it's really cool to live in the king's palace. Pride tells you I'm really cool because I live in the king's palace. And he's telling them, so what? So do the lizards. Care for a dose of humility? I'm not sure I know what the answer is. I thought about that when I was preparing this lesson, by the way. You know, you get up to this list, there are three things that I, two amazing, four things that I don't understand. You know, if I explained it all to you, that would imply that I understood it all, right? The reason the list was put together was because he didn't understand them. The reason the list were put together was because this individual was looking at God's world through the wisdom that God had given him and trying to understand God's wisdom, how it played out in the life of ants and lizards and fires and leeches and women with young men and kings and maidservants and unloved women and he was looking at the world through the lens of God's wisdom. And that's the point of all of this. And I am out of time. The point of all of this is we need to be thinking about the world. Not like the world thinks about the world. The world has no trouble with the maid replacing the lady of the house. Well, if it makes them all happy, go for it. The world has no trouble with give, give, get, of, get all you can get. They have no trouble with that. The world has no trouble with individuals going into relationships that they are not qualified to fulfill. The world has no trouble with that. But we are to look at the world through the lenses of wisdom that God gives us let's close in prayer dear heavenly father thank you that you have created this world to teach us about you things that are small things that appear to be insignificant can teach us about your glory and your creativity i pray lord that we would have the wisdom to look for it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.